0: Welcome back to Inside the Hive. I am Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with my trusted co-host, Joe Hagen. Hello, Joe.
1: Hello, Emily Jane Fox.
0: We have a very exciting interview today.
1: Tell me about it.
0: So I feel like this is a really long time coming. We have Michael Cohen on the podcast. Have you ever heard of him before?
1: Whoa, yes, I have.
0: That name probably sounds familiar because he has dominated news coverage for years and years and years through many iterations of his relationship with Donald Trump, the businessman, President Donald Trump, and I have spent much of my last four years writing about him, reporting about him, talking to him. He has been just a real central figure in my professional life, and as you know from being a reporter, when you cover someone so closely, you know they become a figure in your your personal life too. You spend a lot of time with the people who you cover. So, um, mm-hmm. it feels really nice to bring some of the conversations that we have in private to you guys here because you guys are, are inside the hive family. One of the things that I think is so great about this interview and, and about having, um, reported on Michael for so long is, he has really been a touchstone for me in my reporting on the Trump era because he knows the president and he knows his family so well. He basically you know has lived inside Donald Trump's head and mm-hmm. and professionally studied his behavior his psyche his reactions to things because he had to be on top of all those things in order to be successful at the trump organization so anytime right. i really had a question about well why would he ever do this or well what do you think he's going to do next or wired why, why is ivanka doing x y and z he knew because he just understands their behavior better than anyone really that i've ever talked to
1: in in um in in godfather terms would you say he's the tom hagan of the sort of, of the trump universe sort like of. a consigliere
0: yeah yeah i mean the first time i i interviewed michael he basically was like the i'm i'm the the fourth adult child of trump or presented it that mm. way it wasn't exactly that quote but interesting um and, and obviously things have changed so much, but there's there's a dynamic there where he was just kind of in the room all the time. And because he was such a fan of Donald Trump for so many years before he actually worked for him, I think he took the opportunity once he was in the room to really study him as an entrepreneur, as a brander, as a uh, as a business person. And so he really like he was intently focused on watching him when he was there for his own professional reasons. And sure. it really, um, it really, he, he has a real window into Donald Trump's psyche. And so he's been very valuable to me as a, as a source. And we talk all about all the predictions he had made about Donald Trump and, and what he predicts will happen now. It's incredibly fascinating. You know, in 2019, when he testified to Congress, uh, he said There will be no peaceful transition if Donald Trump loses.
1: He knew. He
0: knew because he knew this man. Mm. And we talk all about that and we talk all about what's happening now and what he thinks will happen in terms of investigations to come. Because, you know, Michael has spent dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of hours cooperating with investigations from the Mueller team to Congress to the SDNY to, um, the New York state attorney general who has said that, that much of her investigation that is to come is based on his testimony. And, um, you know, it's, it's a fascinating look. And he explains that, look, he knows what he did and he knows what he did was wrong. And he lives with the consequences of that. We talked all about what the consequences of his actions were. And, um, it's a really, really fascinating interview. I'm excited to get into it. But I have a few other things I want to talk about first. Let's go. Today is my birthday.
1: What?
0: And I Happy don't, birthday. Thank you. I don't want to talk about my birthday because I actually don't love <laughs> my birthday. But I, it it brings me to something that I've been thinking a lot about. Um, the, the only benefit to having your birthday so close to the winter holidays is that... Um, you have to think about everything you could possibly want in a year at one time. And oftentimes that leads you to be kind of creative. And I have a wish that I would ask all of you this year for my birthday, for the holidays. Um, no one needs to give me a gift, but I actually feel like I'm, I am I want to give a gift to all of you. Mm. This holiday season, there's no shortage of places that we can give back. There are so many people who need Uh, There are so many people in need. There are so many people who, for the first time, um, do not have jobs, do not have ability to put gifts under a Christmas tree or feed their families their normal holiday dinners or so many people who can't be with their their loved ones who will have an empty seat around the table. Um, So there's just so much need right now. And I have found the most incredible program. It's been the best thing that's happened to me this year. LA County has a program that allows you to adopt families for the holiday season, and they you apply and they match you with a family, um, and you get in touch with that family. and In in different years, I believe you guys meet in person and you get to know them a little bit, and they tell you what they want for for the holidays, what their children want, what they need, and you get to know them. and um, I matched with a young mother who has uh, two children who are two and three and um, she lost her job because of COVID. And wow. um, we talk every day now and it has been the best thing that I've done in, in this year and I've made someone, made a friend uh, that I probably never would have made and that we get to help them get the things that they need for their family and the things that their children want for Christmas. That is like the best thing I could ever imagine and the best feeling I could ever imagine. But that I I now get to talk to someone uh, who I wouldn't necessarily get to talk to and hear about her life and perspective and she gets to hear about mine has been such a gift. And it's to me, it's the perfect combination of giving and doing. And right. I would just ask, for this holiday season to find something like that that you guys connect to and that you guys love there's so much that you will get from this and so much that you have to give from this and um just take a little time research programs and i'm happy to anyone who reaches out to me who wants to know more about this program uh if you live in los angeles or you love los angeles i'm happy to connect you guys but i know that there are programs like this all around the country um Get involved, and you'll feel really good. And there's so much to do, and that's my hope for this holiday season: uh, that you connect to something like this. It's such a gift.
1: Well, that's really beautiful. Can you tell us the name of the of it of the program again?
0: It's the Adopt the Family program in Los Angeles County. It's I may be getting the name wrong, but if you Google that, you will find it. But there are yeah. there are programs like this literally all over the country. Um, I'm also have totally happy to compile a list of things that I think would, would have the same feeling. Anyone who wants to get involved, find me on Twitter. Uh, I will happily connect everyone to everything. I just, I feel very passionately about, uh, I know our audience is filled with such good people who I'm sure do so many good things, but, uh, this is just a time to really, if, if you are fortunate. I think that fortunate,
1: is exactly what we need to be doing right now. I mean, um, it's connected to everything that's happening all around us that we can't always fully understand. I mean, the jobless claims are as high as they've ever been. You know, the, the government has dragged its feet on, you know, stimulus bill, and a lot of people have suffered as a consequence. And we don't always have access to that suffering or know that it's even happening. And it is important, especially now, to reach out in any way we can to connect with that and to be part of the solution. And um, I think that's, you know, genuinely kind of a um, beautiful, heartwarming thing. So thanks for bringing that to my attention and to all of our attention.
0: Of course, and I know that, that um, even if you're not having the hardest times, these are hard times for everybody. So it doesn't have to be something that you are, you know, financially donating, but if you have time to donate your, your time, or your heart, or your mind, mm-hmm. or whatever way, any kind of help, there's so many ways that you can get involved. And again, I'm totally happy to dig into any part of the country where you guys live and help find places. I think it would be so worth your time. So speaking of worth your time, should we just get into this interview, Joe? Uh,
1: you know, I think that we're hitting all the right notes today. I really appreciate you. Um, you've, you've taught me a lot this year, Emily Jane Fox, about um, mindfulness and focusing on the uh, important things. And this is the season to do that. And so very much appreciate that. And I'm very much looking forward to this interview. So let's listen.
0: Let's do it. I am so excited to have Michael Cohen here. It feels like a very long time coming. Michael, I was just saying to you that I've interviewed you probably 700 times, definitely more than I've interviewed anybody else over the last five years. So it's such a treat to get to have the kind of private conversation that I've been having with you for so many years in in sort of a public form. I think it's been such a gift to me to get to use your brain and your experience and your know-how. And I'm just really excited to bring that into uh, the public sphere. So I really, I'm so glad you're here. You want to get right into it?
2: Yeah. Well, let me thank you also. You've been phenomenal. You've been a marvelous reporter for as long as the first, from the first day that I met you, um, you're... Your ability to actually capture the essence of what the topic is about is really uh, second to none. So it's a congratulations to you and a thanks to you as well.
0: Ugh, what a what a dream. Okay, so we've known each other for a long time. We've been through many iterations of of your job, of your relationship to Donald Trump and his family. It's been a stunning thing to report on it's been a wonder to watch up close and as much as i've reported about your piece of this era i've also relied on you so much on your knowledge of the president's behavior and his psyche as i've tried to make sense of him his actions his actions toward you his actions as it relates to his children you know him you know how you th- how he thinks you know why he does what he does because professionally you lived inside his brain for so many years. And that's what led you to be this incredible prognosticator. In February of 2019, you testified before Congress and I was there sitting basically right behind you. You said that Trump would not transition peacefully at the end of his term. And I think we can all agree that you were completely, totally right. What made you think that that would be the case you know, two years before it actually was the case?
2: It's a great question. Um, I remember you being there and I'll tell you, it was a very interesting day for me uh, because the night before you and I had spoken and I didn't go to sleep. I don't know if I slept more than an hour or two in that 72 hour period. Um, So I was really running on total adrenaline and fumes I know Donald Trump. I know him intimately in terms of his brain. And I can tell you, it's a very scary place to live because I have become anesthetized to the nonsense and to the narcissism that exists only within the two ears of Donald Trump. You know, they say that space between the two ears, it is filled with 100 percent pure narcissism. And I watched as Donald Trump was behaving over the course of the two years since he took office. And it was easy for me to turn around and to start to feel that while he was still solid with his base, he never actually grew his base greater than what he should have as the president. Now, of course, I always say had he done just an infrastructure bill, he would have doubled his base Mm -hmm. and he would have won this election easily. But instead, the very first thing that he wanted to put forth was a Muslim ban. And despite my objection to it while sitting in the White House, his response was, don't worry, we'll try to get it right the next time. So I saw that he wasn't growing the base. And knowing Donald Trump the way that I do, knowing that he was going to lose the next election, the re-election, I knew that Donald Trump would never peacefully turn over the White House, that there would never be a peaceful transition of power. And it's one of the things that I had said to the late, great, honorable Elijah Cummings that the only reason that I'm here standing before you all is simply because I do not believe under a Donald Trump presidency that there will be a peaceful transition of power. And that scared me.
1: What
0: made you believe that?
2: Well, I was just watching his actions in the same way that I knew that Donald Trump was going to win in 2016. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting on with Chris Cuomo on CNN and I said to him, keep laughing, keep making the statements that you want, keep doing what it is that you want. Because in- in another four months, you're going to be referring to him as President Trump. Mm. And Chris was like, so are you making a prediction? Yes, I made a prediction. The same way I predicted he was going to lose this. And I put on this this company called Gesser, right? I, I put a $10,000 bet you know, onto it that he would lose. And actually, I just received the money. So now I'm going to donate it all to charity $15,000.
0: That's amazing. I totally forgot about that. bet. what a great little year end thing that you'll be able to do for people in, in need. Because you are such a great predictor of his behavior. And also just, uh, you have such a window into his mind. One of the things that I keep asking myself is whether you think his brain has convinced him that there actually was fraud in the election and that that's why he lost? Or is that just some sort of public posturing?
2: I need you to think of what Trump is doing. No different than if you were watching The Apprentice. Mm. This is all a reality show to Donald Trump. He knows he lost the election. He knows it. But the problem is he has an incredibly fragile ego. Mm. And his fragile ego will not allow him to acknowledge that he is a loser, that he lost the election to who, Joe Biden? How could I possibly? I'm Donald fucking Trump, right? I can't lose the election to to Joe Biden. So, you know, this is a cash grab by Trump. He realizes that, you know, when, when you finish a job, and you're moving on to your next job, you're always thinking about how to reinvent yourself. And that's what Donald Trump is doing now. He knows that his next saga of his story, the end sort of, of the Trump dynasty is really going to be predicated around a Trump news network. And it's why he's fighting with Fox every day Mm -hmm. and why he's looking to steal their base of people because with his social media platform of 90 million people he doesn't care about 90 million he knows that there aren't 90 million supporters but he does believe that of that 90 million 20 million are die hard trump fans that you even wrote about where he can shoot somebody on 5th avenue and get away with it and they would they would be behind him 100% so he only wants from them $4.99 a month and for that 499, you will get to listen to all the bullshit and all of the far right-wing conspiracies that Donald Trump can dream up in Trump world, which exists only in his head, right And then you know, at 499 that's what he's going to sell you, which is a hundred million a month, 1.2 billion a year. and that's going to pay for the gas in his 757.
0: Well it's. I think that's spot on. And I think that that doesn't work if you're a loser, right? So it's just he has rebranded himself as a winner, even though there's absolutely no evidence to support that. But you can't sell someone a loser for $4.99 a month, not when your whole public persona has been of being the best, the richest, the the biggest winner in of all time, right?
2: No, you can. And there are 20 million followers that are so entrenched into the cult of donald trump as i once was he has a spell over these people why i don't know right i just know that he does and rest assured if you pay that fifty dollars or the $60 in advance, you're going to get this great plastic Donald J. Trump, Trump News Network, you know, plastic garbage card that's going to have your own special number onto it. And, you know, if you act now, it's going to be like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. We'll even give you 50% off on our leftover MAGA hats, right? Or we'll send you um, a MAGA, you know, lawn ornament that'll say Trump News Network on it that's what he's going to do. It's going to be one fucking infomercial after another and he will do it. And there are 20 million stupid people out there that are willing to part with their hard earned money while we're in the middle of a pandemic that nobody has money. They're willing to part with their money to give it to him. And to me, I am blown away at the lack of the the lack of intellect on some of these people. And I'm not talking about people who are uneducated. I'm talking about educated people too.
0: Well, I think that it 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 just goes to show you how much hurt there must be in this country and how much desperation there must be in this country that people would be willing to buy anything that he's selling after we've watched his performance over the last four years, particularly uh, over the last nine months and his uh, execution of a completely failed strategy, if you can even call it a strategy involving the coronavirus. But I think that w- you said something really important that I want to touch on, and you and I have talked about this many times, and I think it's really useful to hear because you are totally right that he has cast a spell over these this, this immovable base. And I'm wondering if you can just explain how you, who you're someone who is educated, you're uh, someone who has seen the world, and you were still able to fall for that shit too you fell for the bill of goods so just explain to me why you fell for it and maybe that will help people understand why why so many people in this country are falling for it too
2: so my story is as i you know i talk about it a lot on my on my podcast I may a culpa as i had you on as well and we always get into these sort of conversations How did somebody like myself fall into it? Well, my falling into it goes back to 1987 when I was a junior in college. And I received as a gift the book, The Art of the Deal, written by Tony Schwartz, um, though, of course, claimed to be penned by Donald himself. And I was intrigued by it because I saw many similarities into Trump's persona, that I saw in myself, just his was on a much bigger scale. Yeah, while I was in college, I was importing gray market cars as a college student. I was bringing in from Germany Mercedes and Porsches and so on. That I wasn't selling hats or T-shirts, right? I was selling, I was selling cars, right? And I was sending them to Virginia to have them EPA DOT. I always tried to think big, um, and. I saw myself in many of the things. It's a, it's a book that tells you whether you are or you're not an entrepreneur. And then of course, moving back to New York, I had started out practicing, medical, uh, you know, doing medical malpractice, uh, tort uh, and so on. And I did well um, in, in the field. And then I had an opportunity to go into the transportation industry, which I did and built a large company with a partner. Uh, Into it and then sold out. And I was basically retired at the time. And then Trump asked me to work for him. And that, of course, goes back. I talk about it in the book Disloyal. I talk about it how we overthrew the board at Trump World Tower, et cetera. I had invested in a Trump property going back to the year 2000. And that property did very well. So I saw the power of the brand. And a lot of people say things to me which are very negative. You know, you knew that you were working for a bad guy. Well, yes, but in two thousand and seven, how many people would have rejected the offer to go work for Donald Trump? The Apprentice at the time was the number one show on television. You know, there was Miss Universe pageant. There were buildings going up all over the place. I'm a deal junkie when it comes to real estate, and you know, I owned my own real estate. You know. quite a large number of apartments and buildings throughout the city. And I was a deal junkie. And then to be a deal junkie for the biggest deal junkie, the biggest self promoter on there, he's hypnotic. So for me, I understand what got me that celebrity appeal, that if you've ever been around a celebrity, and as you're walking down the street with them, the hundreds and or thousands of people with cameras, all you hear is right of the camera flashes going everywhere and even though they're not taking the picture of you the proximity to be in that vip room was intoxicating for me i clearly was missing something in my life emotionally had nothing to do with financial it was an emotional and what he's doing is he's appealing to emotion of that far right wing individual the ones that especially are racist where They have no issue whether you're black or brown. They just like the status quo the way it is. Mm. And they like Trump's rhetoric because Trump likes the status quo of white power. This is Inside the Hive. Hi,
0: it's Radhika Jones, editor in chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. fascinating to hear you talk about that. And I think it explains so much about, about why his base has stuck with him. But it has also explains why there are so many people who are around him or who have been around him, who have been intoxicated by him, even though it has not served their better interest. And I think this is why we're in a situation now where he has so many people he could potentially pardon. Because I think when you get around him I do believe for much of his life, Donald Trump could have shot someone down Fifth Avenue and not not gotten in trouble. And I think that that has led to people around him also believing that they're invincible, right? But we're now at a point where Rudy Giuliani looks like he's in some real trouble. Steve Bannon looks like he's in some real trouble. And we're entering a phase in the president's final last gasps of him being in power where he has the potential to use one of his ultimate powers to pardon these individuals. Do you think he's going to just pardon everybody?
2: No. And let me again, deep, dig deep into the men, the men right of Donald Trump in a way that people have not thought of it. I have say I have stated on more times than I care to even discuss that Donald Trump cares for no one or anything except for himself. And I've said it to you while you were interviewing me, that includes his own children. Donald Trump will only do what benefits Donald Trump. So let's talk about the pardons. Will Donald Trump pardon Rudy Giuliani? Will he pardon Steve Bannon? Will he pardon Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka, Jared, right? Will he, will he pardon these individuals, which he certainly has the power to do, But will he do it? And here's my answer: No, because the first thing that Donald Trump is evaluating when deciding who to pardon and who not to pardon, what's in it for me? Now you have to say, well, you know, you don't want your kids to go to jail. Hold on one second. What you have to understand is that if he pardons, for example, Jared Kushner, and it would be considered a pre-pardon since Jared has not been charged with any crime as of yet. If he does that, Jared loses his Fifth Amendment right to invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Now, what does that mean? That means that Jared could be compelled to testify in a court of law or even have to appear before a hearing before Congress. And the questions that, of course, that will be asked of him are no doubtably against Donald Trump. So Donald is now thinking in his head, wait, 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 if I give this guy the pass to keep his ass out of prison, he may be putting mine in. So yeah, I'm not so sure I'm gonna be doing that. And right now he's in a funny situation with 37 days left. He has to really evaluate which people could pose problems to him, knowing now that the attorney general has the right to his taxes, And so does Cy Vance, the DA, and there are and there will be, I should say, a multitude of cases coming out of all of that information. So the question again becomes, if I give somebody a pardon, how can it hurt me more than help me?
0: That is some real popcorn shit right there, because. I would just be so delighted to see that hearing where Jared Kushner or Don Jr. cannot plead the fifth, or cannot invoke the fifth amendment, and has to, uh, to testify to all of the things they saw their father or father in law do. That I would just, it would just feel so uh, wonderful to watch. I think you're totally right about him uh, thinking about only himself and not the, the fates of his children. Do you think that he will step down a day before he's supposed to peacefully leave office so that Pence could pardon him?
2: No, that's not going to happen. First of all, Donald Trump will never step down because, again, let's go back to his fragile ego. That means that he was forced to step down by small, simple people and, like you or me, right? And that he'll never allow because then it again tattoos the stamp of loser on his forehead. So he will never do that. Totally.
0: You you brought up something that I am desperate to talk to you about, so I just want to get right to it. You brought up the multitude of investigations that lie ahead and all the different people who could potentially be investigating him. You have spent dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of hours cooperating with investigators from the Mueller team all that time ago, the Southern District of New York, to Congress, to state's attorney generals, Are you still assisting with anything? And what do you think the kinds of charges would or could be uh, in the months and years to come?
2: So that's a great question, one that I could partially answer and the other part that obviously I can't.
0: I get it, I I had to try.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, I have invested um, more hours and more dollars than I care to even disclose. And I have provided them, um, as Tish James, our attorney general, had stated on MSNBC several times over the last week, that her entire investigation stems from my hearings as well as my testimony to them. They have, so I, I don't want to discuss with you what the sum and substance of my conversations with them, that wouldn't be right to jeopardize their investigation. Uh, and their potential litigation against Trump, the children, the Trump organization. But rest assured, the one thing that I can tell you about the people that I had met, whether it was the attorney general's people or Cy Vance, the district attorney's people, they're very well prepared. And mm. they are lo- they're locked and loaded with a very specific task, which is to bring justice to the crimes that they have been investigating and that they know are legitimate.
0: That is, that gives me some hope about what's to come. You're also engaged in civil lawsuits with the Trump Organization. Is that right? That's correct. And that has to do with all of the money that you have outlaid to defend yourself and to participate in these investigations. Is that right? That's correct. Where do they stand? I mean, you you have paid millions of dollars a staggering amount of money for something that for the most part you didn't ask for and and at least from my understanding from from my reporting for you and how you've testified and and affidavits um, in your court cases uh, a lot of it had to do with actions you took at the direction of your former boss the current president so you're out all of this money the Trump organization is saying, well, that has nothing to do with us. So where does where does that stand and and how are you going to get paid back all this money?
2: So let me be clear. It's not I have not paid out the millions. I owe millions. There are firms that are still owed money and I am responsible for that. But you're right. Everything that I did, I did at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald J Trump. So What bothers me the most is the parts that had nothing to do with the Trump organization. I'm not asking him to reimburse me for out-of-pocket expenses on that. But let's talk about, as an example, Stormy Daniels, Stephanie Clifford. Donald Trump, when he found out she was going to be on 60 Minutes, called me up and asked me, how is this possible? We have an NDA, and it's a very heavy-handed NDA. I said, you're right. He goes, I want you to go meet with Larry Rosen, who's a lawyer, and I want you to file an injunction preventing her to do to uh, go on uh, 60 Minutes. Mm. And so I went down to his office and, you know, I met with him and then it ended up getting transferred to Charles Harder and Charles couldn't represent me. He wanted to represent Trump. So then I got this guy, Brent Blakely, and then it became a civil lawsuit that Stephanie Clifford brought against Trump and I for defamation, right, when we turned around and said that the affair never happened. Well, what benefit do I have out of this, right? I mean, this was at the direction of and for the benefit of. Now, I will tell you that the case is proceeding. We've already deposed general counsel. Uh, What a shit job he did on that. I mean, and then we just deposed the other day, Eric Trump, Mm. who basically deferred every question to the general counsel. I mean, it's a shit show of a proportion that I've never seen, but the nice thing is I know how they play the game. If you're willing to stick it out like the AG did in the Trump University case, you will hand them a shit pie so gross that they're going to choke on it like they did with the attorney general. Do you know how stupid Trump is on this one? There was another attorney named George Sorrell who had the ability to resolve that Trump University case early, early, early on for a half a million dollars. And the abuse that George took as a result of him saying we should settle this thing and get rid of it, he ended up paying 26 or 28 million dollars Well, that's what you do. You stick it out all the way to the end, and then you take it all the way to trial, which I intend to do. And then I'm going to sue them also for damages. I'm going to sue them for, you know, um, for treble damages. I'm going to sue them for everything, which Mm. is what the lawsuit is all about. Yeah. But with Trump, you can't give up. If you show that first sign of weakness, they take total advantage. And that's what we used to do at the Trump org.
0: Well, that, you know, the strategy from the inside just just really blows the the doors off their ability. Know to... it.
2: Know it. I fucking wrote it. <laughs> as I told, as I told Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan and the rest of these crazy Republican sycophants that sat there spewing, not asking one single question at the House Oversight Committee, but merely attacking me. Oh, Mr. Conn, you're a convicted liar. Fuck you right? I'm a convicted liar. Why? Because I said that I spoke to Trump three times about a failed real estate project in Moscow when it was really 10 times? Really? Well, I, I think that
0: that makes me The fact that that you're bringing up these conversations with Trump about Trump-Moscow, and then you're recalling that conversation you had with Trump about Stormy Daniels, it makes me think about, um, you know, I've been in your office when he called you to talk about the Stormy Daniels stuff. You guys were in touch and in close contact and talked so often. Do you think you'll ever talk to him again?
2: I can't. I can't. Because as you know, because we've been around each other long enough now, the damage that he has caused me in order to protect his own ass is so significant. He took away the thing that I cherish the most and that's my family's happiness. The money that I lost, it's sickening how much, but I don't care about that. I'll make it back one day somehow. I'll. And if not, I'll live whatever I possibly can. But he destroyed my family's happiness the sadness and the loneliness that existed while I was up in Otisville, you know, um, I could never forgive him for what he did. There was no reason for him to do what he did. And he did it to protect himself at my expense and without even letting me know. Because you asked me an interesting question that one time when we were at uh, the restaurant, the diner in um, the Hampton.
0: Yeah, watermelon. Would
2: you, take, would you take a bullet for Donald Trump? And I told you that I would. And I would have. And had he told me that this is what I needed you to do, at least I would have been able to have a conversation about, about it and how my family's happiness wouldn't be destroyed. But he didn't do that. Everything with him is always underhanded and, and it's dirty. And he held me responsible for his dirty deeds. The court, Judge William H. Pauli III, held me responsible for Donald Trump's dirty deeds, and for that, I could never ever forgive him.
0: Well, you know, Michael, I didn't even have to ask you that time if you would take a bullet for the president. You volunteered it, and I think that the the conversation we had, which I will never forget, was so fascinating because I I just you were in a place where you were at least publicly to a reporter, really wanted to present the fact that you were undyingly loyal because you knew that that's the thing that he values most is people being loyal to him. And I remember I said to you, after you told me that you would take a bullet for him, like, you really think you're gonna get that loyalty back? Like, you think he would pardon you? You think, I, I just couldn't believe that uh, you believed that that loyalty was a two-way street with him. And, and you said to me that you did, but I could tell that in the back of your brain, you knew that it wasn't a two-way street?
2: I don't think I ever said that it's a two-way street. No. What I said to you, what I said to you was, in fairness, we always say this at the Trump organization, Donald Trump is like First Avenue here in New York. It's one way. However, however, I was on the same sort of one-way street as Don, Ivanka, and Eric, where I believed that there was not zero percent reciprocity, but I had at least the same five percent that he would give to his children. And ultimately, of course, what did I learn is that (laughs) five percent is equal to zero in Donald Trump's eyes.
0: You're you're exactly right. And that's exactly how it played out, and I think exactly how we will see it play out in the coming weeks uh, when it does come to those pardons or uh, when when attorneys general across various states continue to investigate his children and his own business dealings.
2: This is Inside the Hive.
0: I want to ask you about your book, but I want to ask you one more question about um, the president. And your book, Disloyal, I know all the stories because I follow this. I follow your story probably closer than anything over the last four years, um, but I was still s- completely delighted and surprised by it, and I urge anyone to read it, particularly over this holiday break. Uh, it's such a quick read because it's super engaging. Um, but you said something that I've been thinking about, or you wrote something that I've been thinking about a lot, a lot lately. You basically said, I'm going to quote you, If something didn't work out for Trump to his satisfaction, he dropped the whole project instantaneously, or at least after he'd wallow in his outrage or his anger. And I've been thinking about it a lot when it comes to, you know, this notion that on Inauguration Day, he's going to announce that he's running for president in 2024. And if that's the case, it goes in the face of, of how he's behaved the politics thing didn't work out for him. He lost. Do you think that he's going to immediately jump right back in? Or is that just going to be another marketing thing for him to get the subscribers to pay the $4.99 a month?
2: Or a combination of both. So he is desperate for the $4.99 a month by his supporters. That's his income. Right now, the company is financially in trouble. And when the IRS turns around and looks at his tax returns, and they reve- and it's revealed that he owes hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes. And that's without the fraud penalty that they attach to it. Um, and believe me, I know all about that. Um, he, his financial standing is going to be decimated because he'll have to sell the few assets that he has that are performing assets, and he'll be stuck with the non-performing assets, which basically makes the company worthless. And for Trump, that's the worst, is that, right, to take away the B, the billionaire status, you know, that he likes to say, you know, I'm worth $10 billion, maybe even more. Uh, No, you're not. So the answer to that is yes, right? However, he is going to counter-program the Biden inauguration. And it's so disgraceful if you think about it as an American, right? This man won the election just as you did. And someone like Barack Obama, who he had denigrated on a regular basis, whether it was from birtherism all the way down, he still had the honor, the decency, the humility, right? The patriotism to sit in that front row as we as we handed over the administration, one administration to another in a peaceful transition of power. But Donald Trump does not have any humility. He's not, there's no humbleness to him. There's no decency to him. So what is he going to do? He's going to counter program the event the same way that when he had a fight with the um the debate the second debate so instead he says i'm not doing it why should i make you guys money there's no reason for me you're the owners <laughs> that make money and everybody attacks me right it's because he was completely unprepared because he doesn't prepare so instead i'm gonna go raise money for the veterans right and they raised money but not the money that they mentioned and then if it wasn't for a reporter so saying hey why don't you tell us which veteran associations you gave the money to? Did they actually start sending checks out to people? Oh, well, we're checking. We're checking, right? Well, I got to speak to my CFO, Alan Weisselberg, because he's as bad. Alan Weisselberg is as guilty of everything as Donald Trump. And yet, in my specific case, they gave that fuck nut a, what do you call it? A, a pass with a, um, with, uh, what do you call it? Immunity, limited sense of immunity. I mean, I just don't get it.
0: Well, we'll see what comes of him and for the rest of the Trump organization as things continue to play out.
2: This is Inside the Hive.
0: You brought up the fact that uh, the, the veteran money, and I haven't thought about that in a long time, and it makes me think of what's going on right now in terms of you know, the money that they raised for the Georgia Senate seat, and people are now talking about, well, is that money going to go to help pay down his personal debts and what he could face if he does take that money and use it unlawfully that does not seem uh, very kosher with campaign finance laws. My, my final question for you, because disloyal was such a smash— uh six it was a a commercial success i think it was a critical success is there another book in the pipeline what can we expect to hear from you
2: uh so that's a uh it's a little bit of a loaded question Mm. the answer is first of all the book is right now being adapted to a full-length feature movie awesome and the three people who have signed on are all either oscar nominated or oscar winners it is a great team of people you know, the big question, I constantly tease it out on Twitter, on my Twitter handle is, you know, who do you think should play me? Who? In the movie. Um, well, there's a few people that um, are, they're all well-known actors that um, I would be honored if they represented, you know, me in the in the movie. Um, but there is a second book. And the second book is different than Disloyal. You know, there's a a lot of people make mistakes and there's a handful of them who actually have a microphone in there. They're injurious to, you know, to the book as well. This book is not a tell-all, as you know, since you've read it. It's not a tell-all about Donald Trump at all. It's actually my memoir and it's my loss of my moral compass working for a narcissistic sociopath and really the invention or the creation of Trump derangement syndrome, which is something this entire country and people and maybe the world are suffering from. That's really what the book is all about. And specific examples that show this narcissistic sociopathic disorder and how it relates and how you can relate it to things that he's doing right now. I mean, I don't know how many times I can say this to people. Donald Trump doesn't care about America. He doesn't care about the Constitution. He doesn't give a shit about anything other than his pocket. And he will try to take as much money out of this pack that he's created for his own personal use, whether it's gas money for his 757, whether it's to pay off some of the IRS debt, he will do it. You know why? Because he used to constantly talk about the Clinton Foundation. And I wouldn't be shocked if you compare certain language in the Clinton Foundation where only a certain percentage of it has to go to the charity. The other is discretionary. And I'm not saying that they had the same intentions, but Donald Trump, when he heard that, was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. how do we do something like that? Because he's already thinking, how do I take money from the little guy, right? It's like the Ray Kroc theory of McDonald's. How do I sell the dollar hamburger, but sell hundreds and hundreds of millions of them instead of the $30 hamburger where you're only going to sell 10,000. That's Donald Trump's theory. It's what can I grift from somebody else, right? For my own personal benefit, as opposed to being thankful that you were part of the lucky sperm club, right? That daddy Fred had more money when he died than you do, Right? That all of his money basically came from his inheritance, which now, as we know from Mary Trump's book, he fucking stole from his siblings, especially the one that he claims to have loved so much his brother Fred, that while his brother was his last dying breath in the hospital, he was at a movie. Right? I mean, this is the man that these people wanted to vote for. This is a man who I say constantly, he, was a, he, he shows himself in my book. As a racist, a sexist, misogynist, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic, germaphobe. That's just who the man is. And what I tried to do in the book is to pull down the curtain and expose the wizard for who he really is. He's a fraud.
0: Ugh. Well, if that didn't just sell your book and your book after that one and the book after that, I don't know what will. Michael, I'm so grateful for your time here. This was such a treat. and I, And I'm just... So glad for everyone to hear this and thank you for for sharing this with all of us.
2: Always good to see you, Emily. Thank
0: you to my guest, Michael Cohen, and of course, my co-host, Joe Hagan. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find those on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcast. And don't forget to leave a nice review while you're there. Thanks so much to the folks at Cadence 13 for their great production work. And of course, thanks to our sponsors. Please support them any way you support this podcast. We will see you next week.